Welcome everyone. I am Paula Morris and I'm very happy to be here in conversation with Nguyen Phan Kwe Mai. Uh, Kwe Mai is an award-winning poet and novelist and born in Vietnam in 1973. And if you think that's after the death of Ho Chi Minh, but before the fall of Saigon. Born in the north, she relocated at six with her family to the south and then left Australia on a university scholarship, becoming what she's called a global nomad, living in many different countries. Her first novel, The Mountains Sing, follows the changing fortunes of three generations of one family through the French and Japanese occupations, through famine and terror, the separation of North and South, and the Vietnam War. Kwe Mai's new novel, Dust Child, moves between 1969 and the almost present day, and it's a compassionate, moving exploration of the impact of the Vietnam War on an intimate scale, on the young women who are driven to and exploited in the cities, of the children raised in orphanages, and the servicemen of both sides, Vietnamese and American, who were traumatized by their war experiences. So, tēnā koe koe mai. Now, I've spoken about your two novels, but before you were publishing fiction in English, you were a very well-known writer of poetry, short fiction, and non-fiction, and many of your poems also have been adapted into song. Uh, so maybe we could begin by talking about your poetry. Oh, thank you so much, Paula, for uh, the honor of con the conversation today. As you know, Paula is a, uh, an amazing um, writer and champion of uh, diversity in literature. She's done so much for other writers, so thank you so much for being here today and for speaking Vietnamese perfectly. <laughs> she, she said, chào các bạn, it means uh, hello friends. So uh, she's pronounced my name perfectly like a Vietnamese as well. So I feel so Vietnamese today. I feel so happy to be in a company of so many of you who have decided to spend your Saturday morning with me and even pay to be here. I can't believe it. Thank you so much. And as Paula said, I, um, you know, um, one of my missions as a writer is to present Vietnam beyond the Vietnam War. So I want to present Vietnam as a country with more than 4,000 years of history and a lot of uh, literary and musical traditions. So I talk about music in my book and also include a lot of songs. The poet Phong Quan said, Có những phút ngã lòng tôi vịnh câu thơ và đứng dậy. In moments of difficulty, I hold on to the verse of poetry to pull myself up. So poetry is the pillar of the Vietnamese life and you know like Vietnam is really a nation a nation of poets. So I grew up listening to poetry from public broadcasts, from my mother's lullabies, and uh, you know, from the singing around me. So would you like to hear one of my poems today? Should I read it in English or Vietnamese? Both. Both, okay. So I mentioned my mother before, so maybe I uh, read a poem about my mom for you. Through the eyes of my childhood, I watched my mother who labored in a kitchen built from straw and mud. She lifted a pair of chopsticks and twirled sunlight into a pot of boiling rice. The perfume of a new harvest soaked her worn shirt as she bent and fed rice straws to the hungry flames. 
I wanted to come and help, but the child in me pushed myself into a dark corner where I could wash my mother's face, teach beauty how to glow in hardship, and how to sing the rice to cook with her sun-backed hands. That day in our kitchen, I saw how perfection was arranged by soot-blackened pans and pots and by the bent back of my mother. So thin, she would disappear if I wept or cried out. Thank you so much. I really miss my mom when I, I read this poem. Um, my mom is an orphan from a young age, and um, she did so much for us. And it's her who inspired me to be a writer, because like in literature about Vietnam, um, in English, normally, you know, Vietnamese women are shown almost always as victims, as those who need to be rescued by men. So I wanted to write against that. I wanted to write about women by, like my mom, you know, who shows so much hope. She lost so many family members in horrific circumstances, and she never stops believing in human kindness and compassion. Kia now, this book was originally published in Vietnamese, and then when it was created in a bilingual edition, was that your first step onto the international stage? I started my writing journey by writing poetry from home to work. <laughs> uh, those days, I, you know, when I was growing up, I, I loved poetry and I wanted to be a poet, so I used to keep my diary in poetry. But, and then, you know, because my family was um, living in such uh, extreme poverty and my two brothers told me, oh, study something and do something useful to have parents. So when I got a scholarship in Australia, to Australia, I started business. <laughs> and I became one of the first investors of the Vietnamese stock market. So then I abandoned my writing dream. But then um, it was when I was uh, 33 years old, uh, you know, like, uh, after having, after getting married and living overseas for a few years, I came back to Vietnam and the joy of living at home was so great that I, I felt overwhelmed with happiness. And every day I was traveling on my motorbike from home to work. It took me 45 minutes to ride from one end of town to the, to the other end, you know, and doing that long ride. And when you are on a motorbike, you, you are a part of life. I, I could... Uh, you know, um, smell the perfumes of the four seasons from the flowers around me. I could hear the sing-song of street sellers. I lived the Vietnamese life and then poetry came to me. So I was writing poetry on my motorbike, which is something I don't encourage you to do. <laughs> Drive and write, no. Uh, the police did catch me a few times and fine me quite a bit. <laughs> but you know, I, some of my uh, first published poems were written on my motorbike. Um, so then um, I, I had my poetry published in Vietnam and because I love poetry so much that whenever I saw a good poem, I started translating it into English. 
So I wanted to introduce the international readers to Vietnam beyond the war, Vietnam as a culture. And then I was also translating a lot for visiting, you know, um, international writers who visited Vietnam. I translated their poetry to Vietnamese and introduced them and facilitated conversations like that. And they asked me, why don't you translate your own poetry? Why do you spend years tra translating other people's work? Okay, so that gave me an idea. So I started translating my poetry, and this, uh, this poetry collection is a miracle because the person who helped me uh, edit it and publish it overseas is Bruce Weigel, who came to Vietnam as a soldier when he was 18 years old. And he fought in Quang Chi, one of the bloodiest battlefields in Vietnam. And actually, he got really injured and nearly died. And he always said that um, the war robbed him of his uh, youth, but gave him his voice. So he turned back. Uh, he, re he returned to Vietnam, and he wrote many poems to protest against the war. And he he spent years translating literature to introduce Vietnamese people to the American audience. And he wanted to say that you know we are uh, similar to Americans instead of you know because with with wars there's a tendency to dehumanize other people. So you know when Bruce was in the army, he was taught that you know Vietnamese were were different than Americans. You know we were we didn't love our families like Americans love their families. So he wanted you know to reveal the truth about Vietnamese people and Vietnamese culture through his translations. So it's you know uh, I had a lot of fun. I translated his poetry first, and I took him around Vietnam and and you know had poetry readings with him around the country and it was really moving because a lot of veterans a lot of vietnamese veterans came to our reading and and shared their personal stories as well so it was like one of the best things i ever did you know translating um, um, poems from from vietnamese uh, no from american poets who used to fight in vietnam because that kind of conversations really helped um, both sides heal and it helps myself a lot too so why did you decide to write your novels in English rather than Vietnamese? So actually, um, when I love translating literature, so I, you know, I translated, I, I translated uh, Vietnamese poetry for years as a volunteer. I did not get a cent from it, but I, I got so much happiness from doing it because because I felt really proud of, of Vietnamese poetry in our literature. And so, because not many people read poetry nowadays, so I told myself, okay, I need to look for a novel to translate. So for years, I was looking for a Vietnamese novel to translate, and then one day I thought, why don't I write this novel myself? So this started this crazy journey of writing The Mountain Sing, my first novel in English that took me seven years. And you know, I, uh, I grew up in the countryside of Vietnam, so I didn't have the chance to study English until I was in the eighth grade, thanks to a teacher who came to my hometown and who, who worked as a volunteer teacher. So I, but I mean, the, the real chance for me to study English was when I uh, first went to Australia. I got a scholarship from the Australian government. It's called an Aussie uh, scholarship at that time. And I came to Australia, you know, like not understa understanding much. So, and I started business English. So when I started to write this novel, I actually had to use the dictionary a lot. Um, but, you know, when you set yourself a high goal, you are 
you can learn a lot more. So I learned so much through writing this book. It's, it's because, you know, uh, when I was born, both of my grandmothers had died. So I told myself, when I grew up, I would write a novel with a grandmother in it. So I would have a grandma. So um, in this book, I documented, uh, you know, the lives of my two grandmothers who died in horrific circumstances, and also, you know, the, the lives of many grandmothers I interviewed throughout the seven years I wrote this book. So this book is a product of many conversations I had on rice fields, in people's kitchen, um, you know, in, in gardens. So um, because a lot of Vietnamese history, uh, I mean, Vietnam, Vietnamese people have gone through a lot, and I believe each Vietnamese uh, um, family's history can be written into an epic novel. Because, like, we were um, colonized by the Chinese, the Mongolians, uh, the French, the Japanese, and the American army tried to, you know, also colonize us as well. So, um, we have been through so much, and each person holds within them such, such, such important parts of Vietnamese history. And that history is not always available to us because of censorship in Vietnam. For example, I write about the land reform, which is a very difficult period in Vietnamese history where quite a few people were killed and family were, were separated. Uh, dispersed all over Vietnam. So, um, you know, not a lot of people have written about this and not a lot of people have written about, you know, uh, the fact of that in the Great Hunger of 1945, like two million Vietnamese died under the French and the Japanese occupation of Vietnam. And three of my own family members, including my grandma and her, uh, her youngest son and her, uh, her brother died in the Great Hunger. So I, so I wrote about the Great Hunger as well. And you asked me about why I wrote this book in English. And I think one, one, one uh, goal is to document Vietnamese history freely, but also to kind of, um, um, I don't know, I don't know, I would have been able to write about uh, the, the Great Hunger so vividly if I wrote it in Vietnamese. The pen would be too close to my heart. It would be, um, now I read it, when I read the part about the Great Hunger, everything that my father had told me about uh, his mother's death was just became just so vivid and it's like unbearable. So English kind of, you know, gave me a distance so that I could write about these historical events, you know, more calmly. Um, but at the same time, it was, uh, you know, um, it was a great learning process for me. And so the great hunger was the 40s, as you say. The land reform was the 50s, the mid-50s, is that correct? Yeah. So, um, so the, the, the great hunger uh, happened in 1945. Uh, when Vietnam was uh, occupied by both, both uh, was, uh, you know, there, there were the Japanese and the French armies that were in Vietnam, and then the, the land reform happened after that. So, I mean, that's what I've learned a lot from reading your books, that the Vietnam War was a culmination of many other terrible things and a product in some ways of colonialism and then the power vacuums that follow it and the fights that follow it, but at a huge expense to the Vietnamese people. Um, exactly, you know, um, because of, of 
of colonization, Vietnam was divided. And what colonizers do, they normally, they divide countries up so that we are weak, weaker, you know, that we are not unified. So under the French, we, Vietnam were divided into three parts. And, you know, and, and, you know, because of that division, later on, uh, we had this war, you know, north against south. And I mean, the Vietnam War is, is a very painful experience for a lot of Vietnamese people. Like I wrote in this book, uh, we have um, in, in this, um, so the Mountain Sing is, um, you know, is the life experiences of four generations of a Vietnamese family. And they have family members who fought against each other in the Vietnam War. And um, this is the reality that uh, you know, many families that I know had members who fought against each other during the war. And reconciliation and healing is really difficult. That's why I wanted to put Vietnamese issues in the center of the, uh, in the center stage of this novel, because there are like tens of thousands of books written about Vietnam in English, uh, you know, and mostly they are from the American point of view, where the American issues are in the center stage. But I wanted to say you know, doing this war, more than 3 million Vietnamese die, and we still have to struggle with our issues of reconciliation, of forgiveness, that I need to talk about this. And, you know, you might have met Vietnamese, uh, you know, who, have, who left Vietnam after the war, and who still refuse to return to Vietnam until today. They said they lost the country to the communists, and they refuse to return, and they don't want their children to return. So for me as a Vietnamese to think about that is, is really painful because like we still haven't come together as, as a community of people. Because you know, according to this legend of Lạc Long Quân and Ocre, we all Vietnamese people are born into one family and uh, our mother is the, um, our mother is the uh, ochre fairy, and our father is the dragon lord Lạc Long Quân. So we are children of one family, and we should love each other. And this war really divided us, and still divides us. And and you know, uh, with with this book, I've had really moving conversations from with Vietnamese from all over the globe, and they shared with me their personal stories. And a lot of them told me that, for example, the the people who uh, who, who are the children or who uh, who fled Vietnam after the war, they said because they are, they're from South Vietnam, you know, South Vietnam were the allies of the Americans. So they, f they, they, they left Vietnam after the war. So they said they rarely get to read stories from people from North Vietnam who, who are supposed to belong to the communist side. So, you know, they said, so, you know, my, my idea is to present stories from all sides of the war so that we humanize people from all sides, so that we empathize. And I truly believe Huang, the, the young character in my novel said, if people were willing to read each other and see into the light of other culture, there would be no war on earth. Thank you. Now, your new novel is called Dust Child, and I first came across this term in the work of my friend, Amy Fan, who is a, a Vietnamese-American writer. But would you talk to the audience about what that term, dust child, means? You know, as, as a writer, I wanted to uncover, you know, um, um, 
parts of Vietnamese history which have been have not be, uh, been uh, you know uh, widely written about. And I grew up um, you know seeing the discrimination faced by Amerasians, children of American soldiers and Vietnamese women, and um, um, quite a lot of them were abandoned by their parents, so they grew up homeless. And you know, in Vietnamese, we have a term bụi đời, the dust of life, um, you know, which I use for people who are homeless. So many of Amerasians were called the dust of life uh, or bụi đời. But through this book, I wanted to say um, Amerasians, you know, deserve respect and love because I met many of them in real life who have overcome a lot to offer healings um, for, for, for themselves and for each other. So, you know, Phong, uh, Nguyễn Tân Phong in my book is a black Amerasian. And through this book, I wanted to talk about the racism which exists within the Vietnamese society. And not many writers have written about racism. And, you know, Vietnamese can be very racist within ourselves. And I wanted to talk about that. And, and because, you know, uh, Phong is, um, you know, is African-American Vietnamese, so he, he faced a lot of discrimination. Um, so, uh, but, you know, in the novel, he's, he's a loving father, a loving husband. He's a carpenter and, and a musician. He plays uh, musical instruments that, that accompanies the Vọng Cổ Cải Lương song. And, you know, uh, uh, Paula mentioned about a song later on. I actually have composed a song for you that if you behave really well <laughs> today, I will sing it to you. Um, no, you are doing brilliantly. Thank you so much. Um, talking about Fung, uh, at the beginning of the novel, we see him doing what I imagine many of those Amerasian uh, children did or when they were adults, which is try to get to go to America to find their fathers or connect with them. But as you presented, it's very, very difficult for them to prove even Fung, who as very dark skins, cannot prove enough to get an American visa. Mm. Uh, so, you know, this, this novel is actually a result of many years of research. So I, 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 I did not uh, think that I would write a book about Amerasians, but I actually, I spent years, um, uh, I work as a journalist as well, so I help you know people find each other through I, my uh, journalistic work, and I, I witnessed so many heartbreaking stories. So you know, so uh, actually, Amerasians uh, um, experience many diff uh, different layers of trauma. First of all, many of them uh, were abandoned by by their parents, like you know they did not know their fathers because their fathers who went to Vietnam as, as young men who kind of had casual relationships and when the girlfriends became pregnant, the, the men did not want to accept responsibility, so many of them walked away from their pregnant girlfriends. So, you know, many of Americans grew up not knowing the, where the, uh, who the fathers were. And many of the mothers were in difficult uh, economic circumstances, so when they became pregnant and they gave birth, and I met and talked with many of them that they decided to give up their kids because they believe, you know, uh, then the kids could, could get better opportunities. So, um, so, you know, so because of the discrimination, discrimination that uh, homeless Americans were facing in Vietnam, the American government enacted the Amerasian Homecoming Act in the early 80s, and this act was, was really like, um, this act gave 
Americans the opportunity to apply for an immigration visa to the U.S. without the need to, to have any paper. If people look mixed and they look like they were born into the uh, the war uh, be between, you know, and they look mixed race, they could uh, apply and get this visa. But the fact that because many of these Americans were homeless and illiterate because they did not have the chance to go to, the, uh, to school at all, they could not, uh, you know, like complete the paperwork. So, so then Vietnamese families offered to help them with the, like they had the agreement that if I help you, you bring me uh, to America with you because these Americans could bring family members along. So there were a lot of corruption involved. So people were trying to buy and sell Americans. So uh, with the implementation of this Americian Coming Act, so you know a lot of Americans uh, went to the U.S. and many of them went with their real families or adopted families, but also with some fake families as well. So my my uh, my character from uh, got involved with a family who who tried to fake the relationship with him so that he that they could get him to America. But because of these corruptions, you know, so the American embassy realized that they had to be strict. So they checked up on some cases. So Fong didn't get to go because he was discovered, you know. Um, but I mean, the reality is that quite some uh, Americans are stuck in Vietnam at the moment because of this situation that they got involved, you know, in complicated situations like this. Um, so, um, so that's the layer of trauma because these Americans, you know, they were really young, so they were tricked by, by Vietnamese who wanted to flee Vietnam at that time. And also, in real, reality, many Americans who went to the U.S. actually were abandoned once more by the families who had brought them there and who never loved them, who only used them as tickets to go to America. So, you know, uh, this book is also, I mean, I, I talk about Fong's willingness to go to America in the beginning of the book. But later on, I also talk about the many things that help him realize that America is not paradise. Because, you know, like growing up in Vietnam, I was fed with so many stories that the West was paradise and everything was perfect. There was like no poor people. So when, when I went to Australia, I was very shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. I, I saw like homeless people and I saw very poor people. And I think for poor people in, in, in Australia or New Zealand, it was really hard because like you have really cold weather and if you have to sleep outside on the street, it's really hard. In Vietnam, you know, um, I, I had met and worked with homeless people and it was like, for example, in South of Vietnam, the weather was warmer and the food was cheaper. You know, you could survive a little bit better, not much better, but, but for me as a young person to, to have believed in this paradise of the West, I mean, you know, my, 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 all of my beliefs were kind of shattered when I arrived. So I wanted to document um, I mean, this, this, this thing about which is called the American dream, whether it's true or not, because I wanted to decolonize the Vietnamese thinking, you know, because I think wherever we are, we, we need to make the best out of our situations and see things realistically. Because there are always challenging, uh, challenges facing us, like people like Fong who 
I ha I know like uh, you know Americans who who migrate to the U.S. Many of them have become successful, but also very it is also very challenging for them. For example, they also face uh, you know racism. Uh, they also face a lot of issues with integration because they move to the U.S. when they're older. So it's difficult for them to learn English, you know, and and to get stable jobs. If we could talk about some of the other characters in this, because it's a book that's very rich in characters. There are our two sisters who I feel are the heart of the book. But there's also a, an interesting character, Dan, who is a veteran, one of the young men you were talking about, who comes back to Vietnam with his wife. And his wife doesn't know many things about his experience during the war, including his romance with a woman he believed was called Kim and the child that he walked away from. How was it for you writing that particular character who is a, a non-Vietnamese point of view? Um, when I uh, decided to include the voice of Dan, I thought I was crazy because, you know, like as a non-native English speaker <laughs> and as a Vietnamese woman to write in the voice of a, a traumatized American man is extremely difficult. But a lot of white male writers have written in the voices of Vietnamese women. So I wanted to do the same to them. <laughs> yeah. I wanted, I wanted to know how it felt, and it, actually it felt empowering. <laughs> you know, because I, I really like talk against, you know, the American racist attitudes throughout, through the viewpoint of my character then. Who's, who's, who came to Vietnam as an 18 years old man and who actually, you know, um, had a lot of racist attitudes about Vietnamese people. But later on, when he read Vietnamese literature, you know, he, he realized that, that, uh, that, you know, that he could, um, that he, that his perceptions were different from, from the reality. But, but I, I couldn't have uh, been, uh, I couldn't have written uh, this, um, character without my years of research and working with American veterans. I explained before that I've been translating and facilitating, you know, visits of American veterans to Vietnam throughout the years. I went with them to battlefields and I translated for their conversations with the former enemies. Some of the scenes in the novel um, are actually from the real life experiences that I, that I witnessed, you know, real life stories that I witnessed. And I, I want to share with you um, the, the idea of me writing then, you know, actually in the year 2015 when I was working as a journalist, I, I read an article on the BBC about an American veteran who returned to Vietnam at that year, more than 40 years after the war. He returned to Vietnam with an album of old photos, and this is a real life story published on the BBC. Uh, an album of old photos. Walk, he walked the streets of Saigon and he, he, he showed the photos to the Vietnamese he met on the street and he said, do you know the woman in these photos? I need to look for her. She was pregnant with my child. So he wanted to find his child and find this woman. And I was so moved because I thought, you know, 40 years have passed and these aging men are really desperately looking for their family members. So I reached out to an organization that, that helped these men with their search. And I asked, I interviewed them. I asked, um, I asked some of them about their experiences. And one of the men, one of the veterans told me that the Vietnam War 
traumatized him so much that when he returned to the U.S., he, he couldn't get a job, he was homeless. And he said that during the winter night when he tried to sleep, he could hear his former girlfriend, Kim, calling him and Kim would say, Alan, this is your child. And he said no and he, he walked away from him and Kim was really pregnant. And I interviewed uh, a few of them and then I, because you know, they, their, their stories have been featured on national and international media and on social media. So I wanted this to be a human story. So I asked one of the veterans, why don't you write a letter to the woman who was pregnant with your child and whom you walk away from, tell her why you, you abandoned her and why you, are, you have been spending your life saving trying to go back to Vietnam every year and looking for her. He wrote a very moving letter, which I translated into Vietnamese and published uh, together with my article on, on Tuổi Trẻ, the national newspaper of Vietnam. This is a weekend edition, and I published, you know, the photos of the couples that they sent me because they said they, they were looking for these women. And, you know, I, I published this article, and I got so many emails and with no lead until three weeks later, there was somebody who wrote me an email who said, Quê Mai, please call me. I might know someone who might know someone who might know the vet, one of the veterans in your letter, in your essay. So I, um, so I call her. After talking with me for 15 minutes, she took a deep breath, paused, and she told me, Quê Mai, I'm the one in your article. She's the woman, beautiful young woman here, um, and uh, her name is Hoa. That's why I, I have a character Hoa in this novel. Um, she, um, she worked a, as a bar girl in Saigon during the war. And uh, when um, she was pregnant, the boyfriend left her. She did not understand why, because her English was so poor. So uh, she did not have any means to support the child, so she gave the child up to an orphanage. And she said, please put me in touch with, you know, with my former boyfriend. I don't know why he's back looking for me, but if he wants to look for our child, I will need his help. So I, uh, they met after more than 46 years. He, he returned to Vietnam. They had a very emotional reunion. And both of them have gone on to do DNA tests, but they have not found their daughter yet. So this is the reality as I speak now, tens of thousands of Americans are still out there looking for their family members. So this book is very much about real life. Uh, there are Americans who have read my book and they have approached me and they said, you have a part of my life story in this book. And, um, and this is really like incredible. So, you know, I, uh, the character Dan, uh, you know, in my book has some experiences of the, Amer uh, of, of the veterans that I interviewed, but also of the veterans that I, um, that, that I have worked with over the years. And also, you know, um, they also have, you know, uh, the two sisters, Chang and Quing, also have the, the experiences of, of the women here 
whom I uh, had the honor of speaking to, you know, I needed to talk about uh, the, fa the experiences of bad girls who had to serve soldiers during the Vietnam War. And throughout my research, I was astonished that there was this statistic that was published that said there were hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese women who had to work in bars to serve, uh, to serve you know, foreign soldiers during the war. They were like a form of entertainment, you know. So, um, but in Hollywood movies about Vietnam, these bad girls are like represented as, as really as stupid, as sexual, um, as, as those who, who were absent of trauma, absent of agency, and who needed white men to rescue them. But in this novel, it, I, I show that it's the bad girls who try to rescue their American boyfriends. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so, you know, in, in the novel, um, Chang, my, my bad girl character, she tries to rescue her American boyfriend, not just with Vietnamese food that she cooks, but also, you know, with, with, uh, with Vietnamese literature. She remembers by heart the, 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 uh, the epic, the tale of Kiều. You know, the tale of Kiều is, uh, is the Vietnamese epic that contains more than 3,200 verses. It's about the life of Kiều, who actually uh, is an, uh, a prostitute because she had to sacrifice her, her life to rescue her family. And Chang, my, the bad girl character in my novel, she remembers this whole epic by heart and she narrates it to her boyfriend to try to rescue him from the horror of war. And you know, like the fact that, that, that you know, people remember this epic by heart is a real thing. If you go to Vietnam, you know, like we tell our fortune by reading the tale of Kiều. So in, in this novel, you have the scene where, you know, Chang is in love with this boy and she does not know if he likes her. So she would dress up and she says a prayer and then she would open a page and she reads it and it would tell her, her fortune, whether he likes him or not, uh, if, if he likes her or not. And this is the real life situation we do. Uh, we, we do fortune telling with the tale of Kiel. So it's a very well-known Vietnamese epic. I love the way in your work, I mean, because you did this in your first novel as well, use literature as something that can transform people's lives. So in The Mountains Sing, the young girl is reading one of my favorites, Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And through that, she realizes that Americans love their families as well. And as you say, develops empathy. And in this novel, it's an important work, the most important classic really, isn't it, of Vietnamese literature that helps sustain a character through very difficult times. The mountain scene opens with the American bombing of Hanoi, and I interviewed many people for, for, for the opening of my, uh, of my novel. And I talked to a friend who said, you know, in 1972, when Hanoi was bombed, she had to go with her youngest uh, sister to the countryside to avoid American bombs. And because they had to walk for many hours, she could not bring any books but she had the tale of Kiel in her mind. As a 12 years old girl, she had already memorized the tale of Kiel. And every night she sang the tale of Kiel to her sister to put her to sleep. And she told me it was the tale of Kiel that saved both of us. That's really incredible. 
So would you say, here's a theory, that your first novel is your Hanoi novel and your second no novel is your Saigon novel? Definitely, thank you for saying this. Because Vietnam had been divided into north and south, so I wanted to write stories that bring our country together. My dream is that one day we don't have the division of north and south that we really become one. So, you know, that's why it's my purpose to set a novel in the north of Vietnam and the, the second novel in the south of Vietnam. And, you know, um, v Vietnam is, is a long country and, you know, like the um, northerners speak a different dialect than southerners and we have different cultural practices as well. We have different words that we use, um, you know, so, so but with my novels, I want to show that we, we are different, but we're also the same. We are, you know, we are so similar and we should love each other more and respect more of our cultural practices. And, you know, because the North and the South went through different historical events, different things that impacted on the lives of people. So, um, yeah, and, and with the second novel, you know, I wanted to show the impact of the American militarism on the lives of Vietnamese people, you know, like, with the presence of foreign armies in a country, you don't just impact, you know, the normal life, but you also like culturally and and socially, you you made such huge impact because like it was the armies that corrupted, you know, South Vietnam. There were so many bars, so many brothels. Uh, yeah, it was um, heartbreaking, you know, to, to read about stories for that, from that time. But I also wanted to document, you know, the beauty of South Vietnam before 1975, before the end of the Vietnam War. And I couldn't have written this novel having, uh, without living, uh, growing up in South Vietnam. So actually, you know, when I was six years old, um, my parents decided to uproot us from North Vietnam and migrate to South Vietnam because the North was very much affected by, by the bombings during the war and by, you know, uh, difficult weathers. So as farmers and teachers, they wanted to move to the South where the, uh, the land was more fertile, you know. So when I moved to the South, I was so amazed that they, whenever it rained, fish would jump out of the pond. <laughs> and whenever it rained, I used to carry a bucket and I would go to the rice field and catch mud crab. And I, you know, my daily job at that time was like get up at four o'clock and like go and catch shrimps and it was hard work but I I loved it because like there was the it was the land was very fertile there were a lot of uh, rice field shrimps that I could catch you know and they like to eat early in the morning so that's why I had to wake up at four o'clock so you know like the night before my mother and I would uh, pound would roast rice on, on, on open flame so the rice would smell really good and we pound it into powder. So in the morning, I would mix it with some water and roll into little balls and I would drop it into my net and the, the little shrimps would come and uh, eat it and then I would lift it up. So, you know, like one of the best dishes that my ma mother made was this fermented shrimps. So she would ferment the shrimp and she would cook it and we would uh, use it as a dipping sauce. So you can dip all types of vegetables and it's really yummy. Sounds delicious. No, I'm just wondering before we go to questions if we should try to persuade Koi to, to sing her song for us. Have they been well behaved enough? <laughs> 
So this song is actually a vọng cổ song, um, you know, a song which is like um, it follows the vọng cổ li lyric. And this 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 uh, vọng cổ song, I talked about it in my book because it's like the um, the daily kind of music for Southerners. So I composed this for you. Bạn đọc ơi, hôm nay các bạn đã về đây đoàn tụ. Nhìn những gương mặt thân yêu tôi như thấy mình mắc nở ấn tình. Từ thuở con thơ tôi đã tự nhủ mình rằng một ngày tôi sẽ viết nên những câu chuyện về quê hương xứ sở trong đó có những người như bạn như tôi họ cũng mênh mang thăm thầm những nụ cười rồi rơi nước mắt trước tận cùng đau khổ bạn đọc ơi suốt đời tôi mắc nợ những ân tình tôi mãi mãi khắc ghi oh my beloved readers Today you gather, looking at your compassionate faces, I see light, and that I, I owe you oceans of that. For my childhood, I wanted to write about my homeland, about people just like you and me. Their lives can be filled with laughter, yet sorrow also brings them tears. Oh, my beloved readers, I owe you until the end of my life. Your compassion, I carry with me always. Thank you. Thank you so much. I did not believe that one day I would be able to present, you know, my work in this most beautiful theater, in the most amazing company of yours. Thank you. And now your questions. Yes, so if we have the lights up. I must say, Kwame has, has really lifted the bar a lot for other presenters at this festival. <laughs> she has actually composed a song for you. What are they doing, really? <laughs> so we have two microphones down here, and we've got some a little bit further back as well. Um, do you have any advice for young people who also want to become writer, um, especially how to find inspiration to write? Thank you. I don't normally think about whether I, I can sell this book or who my audience is. I wanted to write this book your, myself, for myself. So write the story that you want to read and write the story which is not yet out there for you. And as, as writers of colors, we are not normally, we don't normally see ourselves in a lot of books. So we need to write stories that, where we can see ourselves in and we can, you know, uh, present our culture to other people as well. Thank you. There's another question up here that, that's the right. Chào chị. Rất cảm ơn chị Khoe Mai. Phụ nữ Việt Nam hài lắm. I have enormous respect for Vietnamese women having lived there for many years. I, this reconciliation that you are talking about, the understanding of other peoples, is so essential. Can you talk a little bit about the current political climate and how this is being allowed in terms of the North versus South and the overall reconciliation that you are promoting, which is so wonderful? Reconciliation is actually uh, a sensitive sensitive topic. So I've been talking about it for years. And the former head of uh, the former, you know, I facilitated, um, you know, a, a conference. And then my, my uh, 
once the president of the Vietnam's Writers Association, he retired now, he told me, don't use the word reconciliation. Reconciliation means that both sides are at fault and we need to come together, but the North, we are not at fault. <laughs> we did everything right, so they, it, it should be forgiveness instead of reconciliation. So you see, so we still have a long way to go in terms of reconciliation. It means like both sides have to accept the fact that we did, you know, not everything we did was perfect and we need to come together and, 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 and you know, uh, help each other heal. So it's still a long process, but people still do talk about it, especially on social media, you know, um, so if you read the, the now, now also uh, on newspapers of Vietnam, they talk more about reconciliation. The term in Vietnamese is called hòa giải. So um, I see the term appearing more often now on, on, on newspapers when, you know, the, uh, the, the end of the war, the, uh, the, the day, the 30th of April. So before the term was more like liberation day, ngày giải phóng liberation day but now the term is more sensitive it's called ngày thống nhất đất nước the day that we uh, became united um, so you know and our former um, prime minister uh, said uh, this day when this day came there were more uh, one million people who were joyful but more one million people who became sad so there's a recognition like that. And I think if we talk more openly about this, uh, you know, then there is real reconciliation. Thank you very much. There's another question up here to the left. Xin chào. Oh, xin chào. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my Vietnamese isn't very good, even though I spent six weeks in, in Ho Chi Minh um, having lessons. And I'm just interested in your process, your thinking about writing across cultures, which is not just about Vietnamese and Pakia, um, but any tips and any learnings that you had on the way about being able to shift that point of view, because some of those contradictions would have, and, and observations would have been very difficult for you personally, I'm sure, as you've mentioned. For me to write in English in the voice of an American man, for example, I, you know, I, I try to get to know the American culture through literature, through the people that I met, you know, try to, to you know, like imagine how it feels like being American during the war and how the war impacted, you know, um, the, the person and so on. So I think with research and compassion and understanding and with the care and the time that you take in writing, you can do anything. Uh, it seems like a simple question, and you've answered it in terms of the language difference, but why historical novels? I think with Das Child, you know, I worked on this for seven years, and I collected so many incredible stories that could have been written into like a non-fiction book. But I decided to use the format of historical fiction because there were so many complicated ethical issues that I cannot reveal the identities of of many people whom I have interviewed because they have kept terrifying secrets throughout their lives, you know. Um, there, there are, you know, like mothers of Amerasians who have not revealed to their family members that, that, that they had been pregnant with these children and had to give the kids away. You know, I love fiction in a way that it can um, 
it gives me the freedom to create, and I, I feel like as a fiction novelist, my my job is to to plant a tree. You know, the research that I do sets the garden for this tree, and the more research that I do, the more fertile the garden. And then when I write the novel, I use my creative techniques to to build the trunk, the branches, the leaves for the tree. And in the end, it's up to you, the readers, to give flowers and fruits for my tree. So thank you for reading my books and for giving flowers and fruits for to these novels. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sigrun Fan Kwemai. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs>